Welcome to Ominous Ones. I'm Tara. And I'm not Tara. Look at you go. (laughs) This is another older case that was called the trick-or-treat murder back in the 50s. Peter Fabiano was a 35-year-old hairdresser in L.A. who had moved there after marrying his wife Betty in New York the previous year in 1956. Betty was a divorced single mother of two when they met, and Peter was an ex-marine and and truck driver. There's not much information about Peter, but he did own two big hair salons with Betty, and the businesses were doing good. In 1957, a woman showed up to one of these hair salons in L.A. looking for a job. Her name was Joan Rabel, and she was looking for work after divorcing her husband. Joan had been born in 1917 in Philadelphia and was a photographer and writer with a job that took her to a lot of different places in the U.S., and before arriving in L.A., she had been in Hawaii. I don't know why I hate this one so much. Do you not want to do it? No, it's fine. Continue. Well, now that everybody knows you hate it, here we go. Not sure why she didn't stick with that career path, but nonetheless, she was asking Peter for a job, which he agreed to. After working at the hair salon for some time, she became good friends with Peter's wife, Betty. Not long after all this, Betty and Peter started having marriage issues, and Betty wanted to move out. She thought that the best place for her to move was in with Joan, who happily agreed. Peter had issues with not only Betty moving out, but the fact that she was moving in with Joan because he suspected the two were having an affair because of how close they were. After living with Joan for some time, Betty decided she wanted to get back with Peter and work on their marriage. She also confessed to him that Joan was gay and she was in fact having an affair with her, but told Peter that if he took her back, she wouldn't see Joan ever again. He agreed and she moved back in with him. In 1957, the same year all of this has taken place, Joan made a new friend in 42-year-old medical secretary, Goldine Pizer. Goldine had just gone through a divorce from her now ex-husband, Herbert Crome, who was a pharmacist. The two had married October 29, 1944. Allegedly, Goldine was also a lesbian who had been resisting her feelings until her divorce, and now she seemed to be falling for Joan. See, I feel like this one just doesn't have a lot of space for commentary for me. Like, it's pretty straight to the point. I don't know how to help that. I don't either. Okay, continue. The closer Joan and Goldine got, the more Joan opened up to her. She told her a lot about her boss, Peter Fabiano, who Joan now described as, quote, evil, unquote, and was talking about the horrible things he would do. She was building all of this up for Goldine since she was so upset that Betty had left her and gone back to Peter. Joan and Goldine started dating, not sure if it was love for them both or if it was just Goldine in love with and Joan using her to her advantage for what's about to come. After the trust was there, Joan told Goldine that it was time to murder Peter and she wanted her to do it. Love- and then she could own everything. Yay. And fuck him because they're all gay. Yay. Love makes you do crazy things, so Goldine agreed with Joan. She went to a gun shop somewhere in Pasadena and bought a thirty-eight, telling the cashier she only wanted it for protection. She bought the gun with cash that Joan had given her for it. The two waited until Halloween night and sat outside the Fabiano house until it went dark and it appeared everyone was in bed. They were waiting in a car that Joan had borrowed from a friend. Wait, what year is this again? Fifty-seven? Um, I was just going to say fifty-five, but okay. So, they were waiting in a car that Joan had borrowed from a friend. I believe Joan waited in the car, sending Goldine to do her dirty work alone. 
Goldine dressed in a brown coat, blue pants, red gloves, and a domino mask, which is just a basic mask that goes over your eyes with eye holes. And she also had on a lot of makeup. So, see, a ski mask. Uh, no, picture old Batman and Robin, the mask that Robin wore. Oh, okay. Just the basic one where it, like, goes over your eyes, but it has eye holes also. Okay. Inside the house a little earlier, Betty and Peter decided it was getting too late for trick-or-treaters and went to bed. At about 11 p.m., Peter heard someone at the door and, thinking it was just a late trick-or-treater, headed down to answer it. He grabbed the leftover candy in the bowl and answered the door, saying, quote, It's a little late for this, isn't it? Unquote. How do they know what he said? Did she say that in the interview? Like, oh, this is what he said when he answered the door? Um, not to give it away, but yeah, later on it's in the testimony. Okay. A few seconds later, Betty heard what sounded like a man's voice and a pop. The pop was loud enough it woke up Betty's 15-year-old daughter, Judy Solomon, and had Betty and her running down the stairs. The two found Peter laying at the front door with blood pouring under him. Betty stayed at his side, and Judy ran to call the cops from a neighbor's house. After being taken in the Sun Valley Hospital, they declared Peter dead from a single gunshot wound to his chest. I'm also not sure why they didn't have a phone themselves, or if it was just panic, but the daughter runs to the neighbors. That's strange. Especially back then, everybody had house phones. It's not like anyone had a cell phone back then, but maybe they were poor. Something. No, because they said that their businesses were doing good, and he was a truck driver, so. I think it was, we owned the two beauty salons and made a lot of money. I think it was just panic. Probably. Where she's like, fuck this, I'm going to run to the neighbors just in case anyone else is in the house. Or she didn't want to, like, step over his body again, or I don't know what it was. Hmm. Since it was so late, there was only one witness, a teenager, who saw a car leaving the neighborhood at a high rate of speed. Goldine was good, and she left pretty much no evidence. They didn't find the shell from the bullet, but I read in one account that she had the gun in a brown paper bag, so maybe she got lucky and the bag caught the shell, or... She picked it up. I'm not sure. Either way, robbery was ruled out since nothing was taken. It didn't even appear that the murderer took a step inside the house. The cops thought it could have been a gang. They had been a problem in that area. But after running Peter's record, they only found one charge of bookmaking, also known as he was a bookie, from 1948. So he had no ties to the gang world. The cops were then very interested in Peter's enemies, if he had any, since that was the next step. When they asked Betty after she had been sedated to calm down for a few days, she said she thought that there were two guys at the door and that it sounded like one was trying to pretend that they were a woman and that Peter only had one enemy, Joan Rabel. They questioned Joan soon after but had no evidence, so she was soon let go. I like how she had to be sedated for several days she was to calm down. a housewife in the 50s. I mean, she was I guess, clutching but- her pearls. She probably was clutching her pearls, but housewives in the 50s were a lot stronger and could set their bullshit aside to be like, okay, this is what happened, and then break down later in silence. Everybody reacts differently. I mean, yeah, true, but... Okay. After committing the murder, Goldine hid the gun in a locker that she rented in an L.A. department store. Her and Joan then burned the clothes that they were wearing that night. And I'm not sure why Joan did. Nobody saw her and she didn't go up there. They also gave back the friend's car that they borrowed. I guess. Joan then told Dean, quote, 
forget you ever knew me, unquote, and they parted ways. Which is definitely not the ending Goldeen was after with Joan. Soon after, someone called the cops to give an anonymous tip about the gun's location, and after searching and finding it, they figured out the locker was rented to Goldeen Pizer, friend of Joan Rabel. During her arrest at her house on November 12th, Goldeen told the cops, quote, It's a relief to get it off my mind, unquote. Next, Joan was arrested. The courts were unsure if the two could stand trial since back then being gay was thought to be a mental defect, so they both had to talk to a few different psychiatrists. I like just blame it on being gay. I'm gonna start doing that. Oh, sorry. I'm gay. I have a mental defect. I'm gay. I'm mentally defective. I'm gay. I don't know what I'm doing. That's just like the episode of Family Guy where he's like, I'm retarded. And that lady in the women's bathroom and that lady's like, let me show you how everything works in here. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm gay. I don't know what I'm doing. At first, both Joan and Gold... Joan and Goldine pleaded not guilty, but changed it later. Joan didn't say anything during the trials and supposedly sat there quiet with a weird smile the whole time. Thinking they could get more out of the women if the two spoke in person, the courts arranged for the two plus their lawyers to have a sit-down meeting. Goldine was straight up and said, quote, She told me that Mr. Fabiano was a vile, evil man, a man who destroyed everything around him. She told me that he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics, unquote. Goldine also said that the two had staked up Peter and Betty's house before Halloween night so that Goldine would know where it was and what Peter looked like. Joan kept up the silent treatment and said nothing to any of this. Goldine changed her- Snitches get stitches, bruh. I guess. Goldine changed her plea to insanity, saying that she had always been easy to influence, and that's what Joan did to her. She told a psychiatrist, quote, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I always, I w- was always easily influenced. I've been impressionable and always trusting, unquote. All I could find was Joan changed her not guilty plea, but I'm not sure what she changed it to. Either guilty or she did what Goldine did and went with insanity. Well, her lawyer for sure wrote that, you can tell. Yeah. They both were found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to five to life in prison. This case was used as an example by some that judges usually gave women less of a sentence than a man would get. I also think five to life is an insane, vague area. Five to life. Five years or possibly 65 years. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in between. We'll see how your behavior is, since you are gay and mentally defective. True. Goldine was let out and remained in L.A. until her death at the age of 83 in 1998. Joan was also released and seemed to disappear, and no one has any idea where she went. Betty sold the hair salons, remarried possibly in 1966, and passed away in Palm Desert, California in 1999. No one is sure if she ever talked to Joan again or if she even possibly had influenced Peter's death. Some also speculate that Betty and Joan got together after she was released from jail. But that was just speculation because, yeah, Joan was in the wind. I like how it's hard to find anything on them when they have criminal records. And my favorite is old cases. Especially with a murder record. Like, how does nobody, like... How does no one know where they ended up? No one sort of, like, 
a credit card receipt or anything is like, oh, this is where they ended up. I don't know, and I love old cases, and it makes them really hard to research. Hmm. Well, that was the Halloween murder I found. So, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.